David Brainerd was a missionary to the Delaware Indians. That was back in New Jersey a long time ago. David Brainerd lived a very short and difficult life. His commitment to the gospel just wrecked his health, and he died at the age of 29 of tuberculosis. Brainerd's last words were, why is the chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of the chariot? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And at 29 years old, he breathed his last. Augustus Toplady, interesting name. Augustus Montague Toplady, to be exact. You may remember that name. You may have seen that name. He, he was a hymn writer, and he wrote the hymn Rock of Ages. And whenever you see Rock of Ages in a hymnal, you'll see the notation Toplady at top of that. Augustus Toplady also lived a very short life. Died at 38 also of tuberculosis. And at age 38 on his deathbed, his last words were, I enjoy heaven already in my soul. All my prayers are converted into praise. I think of a woman that I knew. I remember standing by her bedside at Union Hospital in Terre Haute as she was breathing her last and again and again with a smile on her face she said I'm going home I'm going home I'm going home we hear those stories and we think you know I I want that when the time comes I want that kind of peace I want that kind of assurance I want my words to reflect the faith that got me to that point And you know, we've seen people who have lived that out and have done that since the earliest days of the faith. We're we're here in Philippians chapter 1 again today, page 980 in those blue Bibles. And it's here in Philippians, we're reading the words of the Apostle Paul, and I can't read the words we're going to look at today without realizing Paul, uh, Paul was there when Stephen breathed his last. Paul oversaw the execution of Stephen. Stephen who said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Stephen, who made that bold declaration of faith, Paul saw that. And here he is in prison, awaiting his own trial, and very possibly Paul is awaiting his own execution. And what's on his heart? Well, we pick up Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. Jesus Christ... This will turn out for my deliverance. And as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will in no way at all be ashamed, but with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It was Woody Allen who was once asked, Would you like to be immortalized by your work? And Woody Allen replied, I would rather be immortalized by not dying. He was asked by someone else, what would you like people to say about you in 100 years? And his reply was, in 100 years, I'd like them to say, he looks good for his age. I read much of Woody Allen's attitude about death and much of his attitude about life. We don't hear much out of Woody Allen anymore, some questionable moral choices and the cancel culture of today have pretty much rendered him a non-entity. But when I hear of his attitude, when I 
read the things that he said, I realize that in many ways, his attitude is the antithesis of the one that Paul is calling us all to here, the, the antithesis of a life that's transformed by Jesus. And with that life, the, the values that we have are transformed. The hope that we have is transformed, as is the faith that sees us through to death. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Wouldn't you love to say that? Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? And we do. I mean, we, we give those words lip service, but, but in those moments when we're very honest with ourselves, we, we have to confess that we fear death. We fear the dying process anyway. We fear the pain associated with it. We would rather be immortalized by not dying. You know, if Jesus just comes back and takes us, that's far better. We would much rather that happen. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Those are more, those words are not promises for us to be claimed. That's a commitment that has to be lived out. We don't get to the place where we can say that mentally or, or spiritually without preparing our heart for that day. And so how do we do it? How do we develop that kind of confidence in our faith? How, how do we get the kind of faith, how do we get the kind of faith that stands fearless in the face of death? We all aspire to that. We want to love Jesus so much that, that the issue is live or die, our life is Christ. If we live as Christ, to die is gain. But in our honest moments, we think, well, what would I miss out on? There's so many people here that we would miss, so many people here that would continue on without us, and then there's those that would come. There's grandkids, there's great-grandkids, and then there's the reality that death, death can be very painful. Is dying still gain if, if death is a long, drawn-out process? Is dying still gain if death is a process that just whittles me away bit by bit, piece by piece, until there's nothing left of me. I think of another man who once said, when I die, when I die, I want to go peacefully and in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming and in terror like the passengers on his bus. None of us can guarantee the kind of death we would like. But I want you to hear where Paul has put his trust. Again, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Oh, but to remain in the flesh... That's more necessary on your account. I love verse 3. My desire, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Can we just go ahead and shorten that? My desire is Christ. That's what he's saying. My desire is Jesus. Above any treasure that we might find here on earth, above anything else that, that Paul could want, his first desire was Jesus. That's where his faith had taken him. So because my desire is Jesus, live or die, I have what I want. I have Christ. I think most of you would remember Kathy Branzell. Kathy's been with us several times. She's taught here. She's, she's spoken here. She's encouraged so many of us. Many years ago, when, when Kathy's son Chandler was 16 years old, Chandler was diagnosed with a very rare blood cancer. His oncologist told him, he said, Chandler, this is like leukemia's 
evil cousin. And his oncologist was very upfront with Chandler. He, 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 uh, he spoke to him very, very clearly. And he said, Chandler, this is going to be hard. I cannot make any guarantees, but I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best to make sure that you live. But he said, Chandler, this is a long, this is a long fight, and you could die, and this could end your very young life. Do you know what Chandler's response to his doctor was? His response was, well, either way, I win. And he said, this is an opportunity for God's glory, and that's it. <laughs> Either way, I win. You admire that kind of faith. You admire that kind of statement, especially coming from a young person. But you've got to realize, Chandler, Chandler did not get there on his own. From the time he was just a few months old, his mother, Kathy, had been diagnosed with that brain tumor in her pituitary. Kathy, had, he had seen what it was like to struggle through treatment after treatment, hope after hope, and then suddenly a relapse. He, he had seen what that life was like, but in the midst of that life, he had seen what, what an unshakable faith was like. Here, Paul says, my desire is Christ. This is where Paul has arrived. But what does he want for the rest of them? What does he want for the Philippians? And ultimately, what would he want for us? You know, if we jump ahead to the next chapter, we'll be covering it next week. But it's there in the next chapter that in verses 4 and 5, Paul says directly to the Philippians, <clears throat> let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ among yourselves. It isn't just about you desiring Christ. It's about you desiring Christ together. Have this mind among yourselves that together they would share their love of Christ, that together their faith would stand fearless. And a big key in that that we cannot miss is the word together. Your faith needs fellowship. We cannot hold firm to our faith without holding firm to each other. We have this very, <clears throat> we have this very individualistic attitude about Christianity in our country. Do you know what I mean? Think about that while I take a drink of coffee. We have this very individualistic attitude about faith in our country. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about you. You have your own Bible. You read your Bible for yourself. You know, you read your Bible for yourself. You read Philippians for yourself. And you see all the promises that God has made to you. And we forget that when this letter was first delivered to the church in Philippi, it was read to a group of people. It was read to a church. It was read for them to share together. They read it as one body. They read it together. We have our own little Bibles. We have our own little verses that we like. We have our own little verse of the day. We have our own little communion cup. And this is my communion cup. You've got your communion cup. Don't touch mine because I don't want your germs on my communion cup. We have this very individualistic attitude when it comes to faith. We forget that the promises that we read here, they're promises that we share. Every you that you read in the Bible, every you, Y-O-U, is a you all, okay? Every you is a you all in the Bible. It's never just about you. It's never just about your faith. It's never just about what Jesus has shown to you, your own little Jesus and your own little promise of heaven. It's about the life that we live together. Paul's confidence in his faith is not just for him. It's for all of them. Again, verse 24, 
But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. There it is, you all, y'all. I will remain with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. There is this very popular attitude in our very individualistic and yet still very spiritual culture today. And I'm not saying that to be funny or to be sarcastic. We live in a very spiritual culture today. People are very concerned about spiritual things. But there is this popular opinion in this very spiritual culture today that says you don't need church. I hear it a lot. I see it a lot. You don't need church. We express that in different ways. We say going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a cheeseburger. I have to agree, and now I'm thinking about cheeseburgers. Great. (laughs) And that's true. I get that. I'm not arguing with that. We cannot in an hour here together on Sunday morning, we cannot in one hour fix all of the things that this culture, this world, have done to your character. All right? We can't make those repairs. We can't fix our character. And so I can certainly understand why someone would say that that where you sit on Sunday morning for an hour does not determine your character. That is very true. But when I hear something like that, or when I read something like that, can, can we not hear the selfishness in a statement like that? Can we not hear how selfish that is? When did it all become about you? When did it all become about the individual instead of you, instead of (laughs) y'all, instead of you all? Is it really just about your character, your forgiveness, your salvation, your promise of heaven? When did it stop being a community of faith? That's what a church is, right? A community of faith that worships together, that encourages one another. I know that COVID has complicated this. (laughs) I understand that very clearly. COVID has really complicated this. And I know that there are those who are very concerned and should rightly be concerned. I know that there are those who are afraid to be around other people and and to to come to church. I certainly understand that. Honestly, it, it feels a little disingenuous when... People don't seem to be afraid to go to concerts and ball games. They don't seem to be afraid to go to restaurants and vacations. They don't seem to be afraid to go to places where they're going to sit packed like sardines right next to each other. And yet, now we're really not comfortable being in church. And I love, I love that we can provide worship online. I love that we can provide this through a, through a live stream on Sunday morning. We can provide worship for people online who can't get out. But there are things that we cannot provide. There are things that I cannot shove through a camera or a high-speed internet connection. And no matter how much I love that we can do this, I can't get around Hebrews 10.25. Do you all know Hebrews 10.25? Y'all? Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect to meet together. Let me me say that one more time. Hebrews 10.25, Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, And all the more as you see the day drawing near. When I talk to people who no longer come to church, and I talk to people who no longer come to church, 
one of the things that they almost always say is, oh, we'd love to be there. We'd love to be there, but we've just gotten out of the habit. We've gotten out of the habit. And you know what? That is honest. That is very honest, and that is exactly what Hebrews 10.25 says. Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. That is exactly what Hebrews 10.25 is warning us about. It becomes a habit to not go to church. But it's not just about what you're missing by not being here. It's what other people are missing because you're not here. They're missing your encouragement. They're missing you're worshiping with them. They're, they're missing the, the things that you say. They're missing your pretty smiling faces. They're missing the way that we hold on to each other as you see that day approaching. And the question I have is, maybe if we were all here doing that, there would be people who weren't afraid of what that day is going to look like, how much that day might hurt, how much that day might terrorize them, terrify them, and, and how much more they can hold to Christ because they see you holding to Christ. And, and honestly, if, if that's where you are, if, 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 if you have to have that live stream to worship, then by all means, we are glad that we provide it. But I want to know what you're doing to maintain those relationships. I want to know how you've worked your way through uh, not neglecting to meet together, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You've still got to find a way to do that. You've got to find a way to encourage one another, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a, a card, whether it's a letter. You've got to find a way to do that. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's not a cavalier statement. It is certainly not a death wish. And it is definitely not Paul saying, ah, my life doesn't matter. Live or die, it's all the same to me. That is not at all what he is saying. He's saying that you matter. He says you matter to me. You matter to the people who are here. He's saying Christ matters to me so much that I am at peace with wherever he chooses to take me. And as Paul lays out that kind of faith here in the letter to the Philippians, it's hard not to notice it's a faith that we do together. It's a community of faith. It's a community of faith that sees us through, and it's a community of faith that sees us home. <clears throat> the faith that you stand firm in today is the faith that will see you to the end. The faith you stand firm in today is the faith that will see you to the end. Paul's certainty is not in question here, and I want you to hear that. He's, his certainty is not in question. In fact, verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress, for your progress and joy in the faith. He's convinced. I'm going to see that your progress and your joy in the faith. What he wants is for those believers in Philippi to have the same promise, to have the same certainty. And that certainty does not come from him being an apostle. It's not something you get when you sign up and you, and you become an apostle. It doesn't come from working miracles. It doesn't come from a life of, uh, of such dedication that you end up in prison, you end up beaten for your faith. The faith we stand firm in is a faith that we stand in together. Again, verse 27 only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying there is, if you want a faith like mine, if you want a faith that stands firm, here's what you need to do. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. The faith that stands firm is a faith that stands side by side. That's how it's rendered in my Bible. It's a, it's a difficult phrase. If you're using the NIV, the NIV says, contending as one man. That, that sounds great. But that's not quite it either. It's it's a very complicated phrase. It it literally means one soul, right? Again, we're very individualistic. We say, how many souls are here today? How many souls were saved? Paul is saying that your faith stands together just like you are one soul. You are one person. You are one soul. That kind of faith requires unity. That kind of faith comes with unity. And unity does not come without being together. The call is for you to be present in other people's lives, to draw from their strength and to let them draw from your strength. And what follows, what the outgrowth of that side-by-side faith is a fearless faith. Again, look at verse 28. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. That side-by-side faith leads to a fearless faith where you're not frightened by anything, specifically by your opponents those who are persecuting them, those who had put Paul in prison. Here's the thing. If the troubles of life today frighten you, if the little things in life frighten you today, then what's, what's the prospect of death going to do? What happens when things get serious? If the problems you're facing now are overwhelming, how are you going to handle it when the big stuff hits? To live is Christ. To die is gain. We want to say that. We all want to say that. It's not a matter of practicing right now, by the way. You don't practice those words. You don't, you don't sit and practice and figure out, what will my last words be? You know, I want to, want to say this. I want to say that. You know? It's a matter of the faith that you live out together. The faith that you live out here and now together, that's what sees you there. By Paul's own words, we need each other for that kind of faith. The faith that we share The faith you stand firm in today is the faith that will see you home. Connor's 19 today. I came back to Kansas to preach the Sunday after after he was born. So we're coming up on 19 years in about, what, five days? It'll be 19 years together. In those 19 years, I... I've been in some of your homes when you've had to give me some bad news. I've been in some of your homes when you've had to say there are no more treatments. And the next call we make is the call to hospice. Those words have never been spoken in resignation, though. Those words have never been spoken as a matter of giving up or a matter of failure. Those words were spoken with the, res- with the realization, this is what we have been waiting for. This is what we have been striving in our faith for our entire life. What comes next is even what we have longed for. Because to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And either way, 
you win. That phrase is born out of a commitment to Jesus that is seen in a commitment to his community, his church. And again, we need each other to get us to that kind of commitment. And again, I want to share with you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, because once, once again, I can't get around this verse. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As you see the day, the day drawing near. There are some of you who see the day drawing near because you're looking for signs in the world around us. And you watch the news, and you listen to things that are happening, and your conclusion is, we can't have that much longer here. Jesus has got to be coming back soon. I hope so. There are others who see the day drawing near because my back didn't hurt like that yesterday when I got out of bed, and today it does. There are new aches, there are new pains, and it becomes very hard to deny that the day is drawing near. There's a new wrinkle. I didn't have these gray, these gray hairs when I started here 19 years ago. You guys did this to me. The day's drawing near because suddenly there's a lump that wasn't there last time you checked. Or there's a difficult conversation with your doctor when the test results come back and they're not exactly what you thought they would be. It becomes very evident that the day is drawing near. So what do you do? You encourage one another. You encourage one another and all the more as you see that day drawing near. However you see it drawing near, your faith never calls you to withdraw. Your faith never calls you to hide yourself away and not be involved in a community of other people who are trying to get there with you. Your faith does not allow you to separate yourself from the rest of the body just so you can take care of you and your own little world. Your faith calls you to encourage. Your faith calls you to strengthen others. Your faith calls you side by side as one soul. That kind of faith stands firm. That's the kind of faith that gets us all to the end. Augustus Top Lady, <laughs> 38 years old. Man, if I had died at 38, what would I have missed out on? If we'd passed away that early, if you'd died at 38, what, what would you have missed? Who would you have missed out on? His final words, my prayers are all converted into praise. My prayers are all converted into praise. Hear that carefully. He did not mean that all my prayers have been answered just like I always wanted. Praise God. No. He had put everything in God's hands. They were all entrusted to Jesus. We're going to pray here in a moment, and then we're going to sing his song together. And I want you to hear those words in his song, especially that last verse we're going to sing. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown and behold thee on thy throne, Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let's pray. Father, what faith. What an amazing faith. And Lord, that's an old song. 
And I can't help but think of all of those who have gone on before us that we used to sing that song with. People who used to be a part of this church who are now part of that great cloud of witnesses above. Those who are here to encourage, to welcome, to care for one another. Those who stood firm and waited for that day. And when that day came, they met it in faith. May that be said of us also, Lord. And I pray that that faith is not just seen on that last day when we draw that final breath. I pray it's seen in the way that we use our breath today to encourage, to speak to one another, to welcome each other, and to reach out. Bless this communion. It is common. It is done together. It brings union. Bless this communion today. As we share the body broken, as we share the blood shed, remind us that it was for us all. And remind us that as we, as we live, while we still have breath, we continue to share Jesus with each other. It's in his name we pray. Amen.